Hey, fellow traveler, welcome to the Third Eye Awakening podcast, a show where we talk all about spiritual and psychic awakening, magic, the shift from 3D to 5D, star seeds, ascension, multiple timelines, multiple dimensions, the universe, the multiverse, the Akashic records, all the good things. I am your host, Amy Belair, and I'm so glad to have you here with me today. Okay, let's do this. Hello, beautiful soul family. Welcome to another episode of Third Eye Awakening. I have a beautiful conversation to share with you today, but briefly before we get into it, I just want to acknowledge how hard the energies have been lately. We are collectively clearing and individually, of course, we do it through our individual lives, but we're doing it on behalf of the collective. We're collectively clearing so much shadow. We are repatterning and rewriting so many limiting beliefs, and it is not a pretty process. It is not all rainbows and unicorns. We are going through another layer of ego dissolution, and, you know, it can be producing a sense of being pulled in too many directions, a sense of awareness that the way that, you know, we collectively live, at least in Western society, is total bullshit. And we want to be out of it. We want to figure out how to get out of it, but we don't know how. And a feeling of frustration and impatience and like we're getting everything wrong and everything seems takes so long and it's so hard and time is speeding up, but there seems to be more to do than ever before. I know I'm feeling that way and it has me feeling exhausted and frustrated and I have anger close to the surface and my patience is very thin. And if I didn't know what was happening, I would be taking a lot of this very personally. I would probably be like going to see my doctor and trying to get a prescription for Ativan. I'm searching my mind. For... <laughs> What's the one my sweet version of myself would be trying to get? Ativan. That's what it would be. Because I'd be thinking that there's something wrong with me. I'd be thinking that I have an anxiety disorder. And actually, I don't. Actually, we are just ascending. Time is compressing and speeding up. And meanwhile, there's so many things that we need to do or we feel like we need to do. A lot of them are bullshit illusions, but some of them are truly real. And it's just, it's a hard time. I'm sharing this because I want you to know that if you are feeling the strain as well, you are not alone. It is not a function of anything being wrong with you. It is a season that we're passing through in this ascension process. You can ask your guidance team through the filtration system of, you know, anybody that you are working with is in service to the whole, in service to unity, love, consciousness. You can ask them to bring you the support that you need and lift off anything that you don't need to feel. But most importantly, from your end, just know that you do not need to take this personally. You do not need to make it about you. This is a collective thing. This is an ascension thing. It's fucking hard. The dark energies are working through you, and they're working through me, and they're working through our loved ones, and they're working through all the other people that <laughs> we don't necessarily love, but we share this collective reality with. And it's making for quite an intense mess and it's hard. Okay, 
So now that that (laughs) has been said, I'd love to introduce you to an incredible and beautiful soul with profound mother codes, Christine Ramos. Professionally, Christine is an author and a maternal child health registered nurse who has worked as a certified childbirth educator, a certified doula, and an internationally board-certified lactation consultant. She has earned two baccalaureate degrees, and prior to becoming an RN, Christine worked as a social worker for 10 years in the mental health field. There, she worked therapeutically with people who have mental health and substance abuse challenges. In 1996, after having her second son, she felt a call to work with mothers and babies and earned her second degree in nursing. As an RN, she specialized in maternal child health and has worked in major New York City hospitals as well as the New York City Department of Reproductive Health. Christine is a physical, emotional, and intuitive empath who can perceive the human energy field. These abilities have led her on a path to search for the truths that enable her to make sense of what she learned from her academic sources with what she can perceive on an extrasensory level. That search led her to write A Journey into Being, Knowing, and Nurturing Our Children as Spirit. Currently, Christine is an editorial contributor for health, parenting, and spirituality publications worldwide. The conversation that Christine and I shared was truly beautiful because, you know, you all know I was a midwife and I, part of my dharma is absolutely to be here to support the healing of the mama toto or mother child unit, the bond, the primal, so important bond that all children have with their mother. And so it was beautiful to speak to somebody else who has that same dharma and and also has one foot in the professional academic world. She stayed way longer than I did and and has one foot in the psychic world. It was it was truly a pleasure to connect and talk at the length that I really desire to talk on these topics. And I hope that you will listen no matter who you are because here's the thing is we were all born through mothers and there is a very real mother wound program running through the collective psyche. And I will spare you my long-winded blatherings about it at this time. Maybe I'll talk about it sometime to the degree that I really want to call it out. But the mother and the father, but the mother archetype in this case affects all of us because we all came through the portal the stargate of a womb and so this conversation is very important i hope that you will receive codes and healing activations through it and for the patreon bonus christine shared a really powerful and very very vulnerable and authentic past life healing experience that she had around other lifetimes with her current children. And I felt very honored to receive that share because, you know, the things that she experienced in those other lives and that she healed were very hard. They were not like, oh, I had an idyllic life of running through the grassy meadows of wildflowers and butterflies with my beautiful children. I don't know why. I made a British accent for that, but maybe she had lives like that, but those were not the ones she shared. 
She shared some dark experiences that are a real testament to the depth of healing work and and owning our own dark shadow and our trauma past that is being called through us at this time so that we can truly, truly move out of the 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 nightmare that we have that we are in right now that we have participated in and that has been created for us and move into a whole healed creation of reality as we work through and heal all of these dark fragments of ourselves so without any further ado here is my conversation with Christine Ramos. Today I have with me Christine Ramos, who is who is here to share with us some really beautiful wisdom around children, parenting, spiritual aspect of see being involved with children. I'm assuming it's also being involved with children like even if you're not the direct parent, but like you're an auntie or an uncle or, you know, somebody who will have an influence on that child, which is, you know, as you all know, because you all know, <laughs> William, you hear me, you hear me talking about him all the time and you hear him on the podcast sometimes that my babies are my entire world. So I feel like this is going to be such an amazing conversation. Welcome, Christine, to the podcast. Thank you, Amy, and thank you for having me here. I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. Yes, me too. So, Christine, I always start by asking people just to sort of introduce themselves in their own words, sort of a little bit more backstory than what's provided in the introduction bio, and especially through the lens of like your spiritual awakening journey and and what has brought you to a point where you are able to sort of interact with the topic of pregnancy, parenting, children, etc. through a spiritual lens? Sure, sure. Well, just briefly, professionally, I first was a social worker for about 11 years. That was my first career. And afterwards, I had my first son, which was a very medicalized birth. I was very dissatisfied with it. My second son, I have three children. My second son was born via with a midwife. Fell in love with the whole idea of providing care and possibly going into midwifery myself. So I went, changed careers. I went into nursing with the intention of going either into specialized maternal child health or to go through midwif midwifery program. Uh, it turned out that I stayed with specializing in maternal child health. I became a certified doula, certified childbirth educator, and internationally board certified lactation consultant. I had my own private practice, so that's how professionally my career went. Now, personally, my awakening has been a lifelong process. All my life, I have known that I've had this gift of 
perceiving spiritual energies. I am a medium as well. I grew up in a household where it's Hispanic, Puerto Rican. So we we believed in something that's called Espiritu. I can I can barely pronounce it. But we had my mother and my grandmother who were very spiritual. And so I had that as my foundation. So all my life, I've definitely had spirituality there. But when I had my children, something profound happened to me. And that was that I, I, I searched for things that can address the profound spirituality of bringing new life into this world. And I couldn't find anything. Now, there, you know, there are books on reincarnation. There are books about children who remember past lives. There are books about spirituality and everything in between. But there was nothing that really addressed that sacredness, that profound, just, just the whole idea of bringing new life into this world, almost acting like a spiritual portal. So I took it upon myself to write it myself. And I won't profess to be, you know, the person who wrote the book on my own. I truly believe this was a collaborative effect with those of higher, higher consciousness. And so my book, A Journey Into Being, was exactly that. We, I put together what I believed is the journey of a soul coming into this world. And it was very humbling. It was a very profound spiritual experience. And that was basically my awakening in a nutshell. That is so beautiful. And I I really relate. Yes, just as we were speaking before I hit record, I shared with you that I I always know like literally my earliest like self-aware memory like truly self-aware was when I was two and I I remember knowing that I was here to be a mother and to work with like babies and I didn't really know what pregnancy was at the age of two so I didn't know that part but I just knew I was here I was here to be with babies and I was here to have babies and work with the mother archetype although that's not how I spoke to myself at that age and I remember feeling like Oh God, it's going to be so long. Like I'm going to have to wait so long before I can have babies. And it was such a spiritual experience for me as well, right from the get-go. And there was nothing about it that was simply medical. And I was really lucky when I was pregnant with my oldest son, or I guess it was just before I got pregnant with him. It was probably his spirit that led it, led me to this. But I, I happened upon the book, Spiritual Midwifery in a used bookstore. I didn't even know what midwives were. I hadn't really not thought about much about, you know, what my birth plans would be because I didn't realize I was going to be having a baby in less than a year from that point. But I, I found that book and it was, it spoke to everything that I already knew and understood on an internal level, understood, I suppose, about this, as you said, the journey of entering this world from another dimension and the the journey of being the portal to another dimension for a a 
an already existing consciousness to come into an incarnation suitable for this realm. And it's so, it's such a beautiful thing. And, you know, that, that book, I was so lucky to find it right before I got pregnant for, for the first time or with my first child. So I always understood my experience through that lens. But then later I became a midwife and I very much came to understand that that is not how most people view it at all. <laughs> Even those who work with midwives, a lot yes. of people who work with midwives, they, they have various reasons to come work with midwives, but almost none of them are spiritual. Yes. Yes. And there, isn't it a bit disappointing? <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't, I honestly, I didn't last long in that profession for a number of reasons, but that, that was one of them. It was, it was really challenging to, I thought I was getting into it to be a spiritual midwife, to really like hold that depth and space for people through their passage. And it turned out I was just another healthcare provider. And I say that with the most respect to healthcare providers, because it is a very challenging world to be in. And there is a lot of responsibility and they're brilliantly gifted, very systematic, organized thinkers. But it, it pained me to always be required to muffle my, my ability to read the energy in the room and have to defer to the data coming off of the, ex, the external fetal heart rate monitor, for example. Yes, yes, yes. I can totally empathize. Same thing happened to me when I entered a nursing school and got into the specialty of maternal child health. I did everything from high-risk antepartum to newborn nursery to everything in between labor and delivery. And every, all of my experiences were, wow, this is like, sort of like a, a mill. Um, <laughs> everything is very standardized. Everything is very protocol. There is little, if no room you know, to individualize your experience, it was very disappointing to me. And so as soon as I could, I went into private practice to sort of provide that, that side of it on my own as, as, a, as a form of education for my patients. So that's how I handled it. Unfortunately, my patients will then go out into the, the world of medicine, you know, of a medicalized birth, and then they will be kind of challenged with, you know, the, the whole medicalized per portion of it. But I gave them little str strategies in order to negotiate things like, you know, a saline lock versus, you know, a drip mm. and, and things like that. I did the best that, that I could or st I'm still doing the best that I could. And I also do that through writing articles and, of course, the book, you know, just to try to insert as much reverence for the spirituality of this event of bringing new life into this world so yeah it's, yeah it is heartening i i feel like that's so amazing though because the the truth and the reality of it is that not everybody is is ready to see it through the lens that we see it through they just aren't that's not where they're at and so all we can kind of do is plant those seeds. And, you know, sometimes we can't, I'm like, I'm treading delicately, 
mostly for the listeners, because I don't know who's listening. I don't, I so don't want to offend anyone, but it, it feels like to me in the, the medical system, the concept of pregnancy and parenting, there is no, not only is there no room for the spiritual, but there's also like very little regard for the emotional and the effects that the trauma has. Like, and so there's this prioritization of saving the physical vessel, which of course, like nobody, I shared with you in in our email exchange, I had a son that died. And, and so I, like, I don't say this lightly, Nobody wants babies to die and nobody wants moms to die. And that is our collective priority to make it a safe passage. And yet there's all this there. It's such a priority, but from a place of fear of having the finger pointed at you, that if something goes wrong, you will be, you know, targeted as the the person who made the mistake, the person at fault. And so it ends up feeling like a battlefield yeah. in the medical system, even during even just during prenatal visits, it's it feels like a battlefield, like you're having to navigate all of these, like kind of, yeah, like buried landmines of yes. this procedure and that procedure. What if you, what if you decide to do the glucose challenge test and then you fail it and then you have to do the glucose tolerance test and then you're diagnosed with gestational diabetes and it's like this cascade of like runaway protocols and all of a sudden it's out of your hands. But the the truth is that so many people have fear around the safety of the passage of pregnancy and birth. That's, that's, that's exactly like, what I was going to say. <laughs> it's a yeah. fear. It brings up this fear and this sense of disempowerment. And in order for in order for a woman to truly possess that 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 feminine energy, that motherhood energy, she's got to feel empowered. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the, the, unfortunately, a byproduct of the medicalization of childbirth and pregnancy is that whole disempowerment. It's fear. It's, it's, I'm out of control. This this is no longer in my hands. Have I, you know? I just have to put my faith into the whole process, and it, it's yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's sad because I, I I think women can totally have more more of a sense of empowerment and more of a sense that this is a natural process. It's. Yes, we we need to educate ourselves as mothers, as as soon to be mothers, educate ourselves on what can happen. But also with that education, I believe more confidence can happen when you kind of can take a step back and say, okay, well, all right, the rationale behind these tests is that, okay, well, this is how this is taken care of. I I think when when women sort of surrender that power, I, I think it sets sets them up for just more fear, and like you said, this cascade of of just disempowerment, really. And and I yeah, I just that's my goal, sort of. I I really try to educate my patients and to tell them, look. Yes, these are things that can happen. These are the protocols that you're going to encounter. But this is the rationale behind it. And this is how maybe you can negotiate things 
with your provider, as well as give, you know, I, I, one of my biggest advocacies is the whole skin to skin kangaroo care, regardless of whether the child is premature or not. There are more and more and more studies coming out, even just a few months ago, about the powerful effects of just having close contact with your child. And that cannot be over, you know, overstressed because I, because I can sense the energy dynamics, I could see exactly how that close contact is helping to synchronize the baby's energies. I mean, when you think about it, right, when the baby comes into this world, new to physicality, new to this density of physical life, right? And so just placing the baby on your chest or just having the baby in your arms, you know, the whole baby wearing thing, that alone can help to synchronize her own energy field so that her body systems are optimized in a way that nothing else can do. Nothing else. And I'm sure you're well aware of the like benefits of kangaroo care and skin to skin. I know that the baby friendly initiative, which is something that the World Health Organization has, has facilitated, that that's part of the steps to having a healthy childbirth. And so it's one hour of skin to skin, uninterrupted with mom and baby, you know, within that first hour after birth. And yeah, even when I hear that though, I'm like, one hour? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like one hour, because really when you think about it, regardless of the gestational date at which the baby was born, like as you said, preterm or, you know, a term, full term, like fully cooked, that baby has only known the internal environment of its mother. That's all it has ever known before. And suddenly it's on the outside. It's loud. It's cold. There are lights. Like there's so much sensory input bombarding that baby. And that baby just like, of course, that baby only wants to be on preferably mom, but also dad or, you know, if they're, if neither parent is available, like basically the, the, the chest, the bare skin chest of somebody who loves and loves them. Yes. Then yes. I, they feel the rhythm of the heart. They feel the rhythm of the breathing. And like, as you said, it's like their body learns how to like synchronize with that. Yeah. And they yes. also become enveloped in your field. And yes. they're now subtly mediating all this sensory information. And like you said, the density of this world, the intensity of this world. Yeah. And, but when they're with you and they're, or someone who loves them, they are now enveloped in that person's field. And if that person ideally is, you know, full of oxytocin and love and bonding hormones, then the, their field becomes very coherent and harm, harmonic. And the baby is protected in that, like, energetic work field and so you know <laughs> I to me I'm just like of course babies don't want to be anywhere else I remember clients saying 
every like feeling frustrated because every time that they would try to put their baby down in the little hospital provided bassinet, the baby would wake up. And of course, the parents are tired. And like, I would never advocate these things to the detriment or at the expense of the parent's physical needs for their mental and emotional and spiritual and physical well-being or anything like that. So I understand it was because they were exhausted, but I was also like, yeah, because your baby has literally never been apart from you. <laughs> so Actually, when you put it down, it's like, where the fuck am I? Where, where? Who picked me up? <laughs> and that's exactly what I write about. And I'm such a fierce advocate of it. And you know, the thing about mainstream publications is you you have to form it in a way that is very scientific, right? Mm-hmm. You have to give your sources and you have to make sure it's backed up by scientific data. And I'm just so happy that all of this data is coming out now. And what does it say? It says, well, we, the, the exact dynamics of how this happens is a complete mystery to us, but we know it happens. So whether, you know, whether you, like you said, it's the mother, the father, it's just got to be a loving individual, has close contact with this infant, and miraculous things happen. And lo- they just finished a study long-term to, th- to children that are now 20 years old. And Amy, they say that these children now have better peer relationships, much stronger empathy for others, better able to handle stress, better able to regulate their emotions. I mean, it, 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 it's, I, I just love it. And I'm so happy that I'm alive during this time to see like things, you know, finally starting to go swing in the direction away from like, you know, putting your baby down to sleep and letting them cry it out. Oh, or it so, doesn't that crazy. <laughs> yeah, it does. And the, okay, I had a partner, the father of my oldest child who, that's what happened to him. Like his parents, I mean, I, I still have a relationship with them and I love them and I respect them. And I know that they were just following the conventional wisdom of that generation, but they decided to put him down to cry it out at eight weeks old. And he, we had a very volatile relationship. It like, there was a lot of pain, a lot of pain. And I, like, I know it started there. He had huge abandonment issues, even though he was literally never abandoned. And I know it's because he was abandoned. That's yes. how it felt. Like, when when I learned that, I was like, it all makes sense. And it just breaks my heart how many babies are, you know, that's what they experience. And again, it's not even, you know, with necessarily parents that you could ever categorize as being abusive they're just following the conventional wisdom of the time yes and but it's nonetheless like deeply traumatizing to an individual that's like be learning oh you've been out here for two months now and so you know go out on your own and for eight entire hours of the night no one is going to come be with you no one is going to meet your needs doesn't matter how scared you are doesn't matter if your diaper's wet doesn't matter if you need to be fed no one's coming 
that is a terrible message to receive. And so many people have received it. Oh, yes. And, you know, that trauma is recorded in the the energy field. It's there. You know, you may the, the child may not consciously remember it, but it's recorded in your energy field, that sort of trauma. So like you said, you, it might manifest as abandonment issues. It might manifest as you know, long somewhere down the road, addiction issues, because there's this sort of sense of void, you know, and it, it's just so it's it's so sad. And just to reiterate about how these studies are absolutely confirming it, and more and more so, I'm just wondering if perhaps down the line, you know, pediatricians are going to have that as part of their maybe education to new new parents, you know, close contact, make sure that you do this so often or as often as you can, or, you know, for the child care provider who is, you know, taking care of your child to practice these sort of things, you know, every, you know, you know, throughout the day, because it's that important. It's, it's, it's that profound. So yeah, that's how I presented trying to get that message out as much as possible, just because of how outstanding these effects are long-term. Now, you know, it's proven long-term with, with 20 something year olds as they follow them throughout, you know, their lives. And it's it's just incredible. And I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but adults also have this kind of coupling effect where their brain waves will sync up if they're in attunement with one another, if they're like in a very intense conversation and they're very much, you know, concentrating on what each other says, their their brain waves actually link up as well, which I find fascinating. It was just a little FYI. <laughs> it is so fascinating. I mean, we're all frequency beings. Exactly. We're all frequency beings. And just, I do have a question for you, but before I ask the question, I, I do just want to share that. So my experience that, well, okay. So I had my son when he was my, my second born son, Killian. As all of my podcast listeners know, when he was 26 weeks of gestation. So he was a micro preemie. It was very early. But I do recall that, you know, there was the initial period where he had to be under the blue lights for, you know, jaundice. And it was, it was a little fragile for the first couple of days. But once they started letting me do skin to skin, it would be for like a half hour at a time. And I didn't question them because I didn't know to question them as many people don't, but they would, you know, they'd let me hold him for a little while. And then they would say, okay, he's like, it's, it's becoming too stressful for him. Like, I don't know, they would see little periods of like bradycardia or something like that, really mild bradycardia, but like his heart rate slowing down. But I knew the reference ranges because I was a midwife. So I knew it was very mild, but they would say like, this is too stressful for him. And I do... <laughs> I don't have any regrets insofar as I know that he fulfilled the intention for that incarnation. He was, it was not on the timeline that I'm on that he was meant to have a long life. 
But I do wonder, and I, I did always have regrets about even going to that hospital in the first place because I felt like if I had been, if they had just let me hold him, mm. maybe he would have survived. But mm -hmm. even if he didn't, he would have not died so lonely. If mm -hmm. that makes sense, like I would have, he would, like sometimes I think if I hadn't even gone to the hospital in the first place and because I thought I had to, and it turns out I didn't have to, but I thought I had to. They presented it like you have to do this. And I think to myself, if I had just stayed home and if I had gone into preterm labor at home and he was born at home and I just put him on my chest and he, you know, passed away, he would have passed away completely engulfed in love. Right. And it is something that I think about a lot that, you know, that that skin to skin, regardless of the outcome, and as you said, regardless of the gestational age, is so important. And the the long-term effects of it are so important. But that being said, I don't I didn't ever specialize in preterm babies. So I don't know if that is just, you know, if it is not not actually safe to let them just stay with mom for you know, long periods of time, mom or dad. But one of the okay. things, well, go I, ahead. No, I was just going to comment on, I, I, I myself have never worked in the neonatal unit. So I, I, I can't speak to that. I just know that, you know, the, the kangaroo care is something that's more or less standardized now. But again, like you said, those, those parameters for whatever they see as maybe unhealthy arousal in the, in the baby. I, I, I'm not so sure, but you know, as you said, I'm sure your child, your child sort of saw the beginning, the end, the end, or, or the whole spectrum of life at that point. And I'm sure you did everything you possibly could. I did. And I take, I take great comfort in the fact that I got to hold him at all. And that like, I, I know that he knows he was so loved. Yeah. But it's those funny things to look back on the system and the way we do things. I'm like, what yeah. the hell? Like, who's trying? Who's forcing me to try to save a micro preemie's life at with that? You know, without factoring in like maybe if that life is probably going to be very brief, it would yeah. just be best to all happen on the the chest or the abdomen of the mother. You know, like if we just have very strange priorities, this big this big fear of death. And, yeah. and we perceive death as a failure. And, and so we, we go to these great lengths to try and prevent it from happening. But it is often at a very high cost that just isn't factored in. It's true. Uh, I have a question for you. So, sure. so why do you believe that some babies are more sensitive or reactive than others? And can you talk about the afferent and efferent energy dyna dynamics? Oh, sure. Sure. My pleasure. <clears throat> so it, we'll, it just goes right back to what we were talking about with newly incarnated souls. You know, newly incarnated souls, as we, we, we mentioned before, they're new to this density. They're new to this physicality. They're new to the harshness of life. The sights, the sounds, the smells, the senses are overwhelmed. And we go from this vast energy field into this small container and it's overwhelming for the newly arrived spirit. It's, and what happens is, is that 
the child, when they are adjusting to this physical life, they take in the information of their environment through their sense of energy. And so if you notice how, again, mother, father, people who love the child, they're more apt to be calmer in their presence or calmer in their arms, as opposed to somebody who may not have or not the same type of resonance with the child. And, that ch- and that's what I refer to as afferent energy. Afferent meaning energy coming toward the individual. So for the child, this energy that's coming toward them perhaps may not have a good resonance with them. So this is uncomfortable and they may react by either crying or fussing or becoming overstimulated, maybe even becoming sleepy. It's just a perception of the other person's energy that the child is picking up on. That is what I I refer to as afferent. Now, efferent energy dynamics is the opposite. It's what we as individuals or the child as an individual is emitting. It's their specific energy dynamic. And that goes into the energy centers, such as the chakras and in terms of Eastern philosophy and those traditions, you know, you have the root chakra, you have the sacrum, you have the solar plexus, you have the heart, the throat, the brow, and the crown. And so it's all about balance. And that's what I mean by F energy dynamics. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense to me. Do you ever read the energy of, of babies? Like, do you? Have, yeah, you do. So yeah. that, that's so interesting. I love, oh my God, I love babies so much. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like I know my youngest just turned one and I know that he's my last baby, but there's a part of my brain that's like forever more. Yes. I just going to have to go back to working with babies, other people's babies and, and not having more of my own. But when you're reading the babies, like, so, so my youngest, William, was by far my, my most sensitive baby insofar as like, well, first of all, he's a cancer. Mm-hmm. He's a cancer sun sign, yeah. a little mama's boy. And I had to, he, I would say he was colicky. I think he had gut dysbiosis that he picked up from me. I've been on a journey of learning about that. But he had a beautiful birth. I just free birthed him at home by myself. And it was like the most, it was just perfect and beautiful. Yes, I listened to your podcast about it. Oh, it was so beautiful. Oh my gosh, you are so courageous too. That's wonderful. Well, I mean, I have the benefit of midwife training too, you know what I mean? But I heavily yeah. on like I was like, you know what? I live 10 minutes away from the hospital. If I ah. if something is up, I know my mother's intuition will know. Like I okay. know I'll know. I don't need somebody else to tell me. I will feel it and yeah. I will go get assistance when I need it. But yeah. he's he had a beautiful birth. So I know it wasn't or I believe it wasn't birth related, but he was 
very sensitive and like, man, oh man, did I baby wear him. And we, <laughs> he's such a little snuggly little mama's boy, but there he see, even seemed to have separation anxiety. So I don't, I don't expect you to be able to read him because he's not even here. But what do you find when you're kind of reading the energy of babies you work with that have extra sensitivities? Do you notice any kind of pattern or like, yeah, you, yeah? tell me about oh, it. Yes, yes. What I, what I find is that the very sensitive babies grow to be definitely more psychically aware. I can, my own daughter and my son, not my oldest, my middle son, very, very, very sensitive, had a lot of colic, cried so much when they were separated from me. And what I'm finding between my own personal experience and the experiences of my patients and clients is that these children are growing up to be very, very perceptive and very sensitive and in various ways. Some have very extreme sensitivities to textures, to sound. Some are very perceptive to psychic energies. Some see ghosts and spirits. Some, some are just very empathic and can sense you know, people's moods. I can tell you a personal story with my own son, which I love telling. He he must have been maybe, oh, three years old. And he was playing with his blocks in front of me. His back was to me. And I was reading a magazine and it was a very, very sad story. And I was very conscious of the fact that I didn't want him to hear me cry. So I very, I did not make a sound. I just let my tears roll down my eyes. And without turning around, he said to me, mommy, why are you crying? Wow. And I, I just froze. And I said, Ethan, how did you know I was crying? And he just said, because I know mommy. And it's, it's just, it's amazing. But yes. I definitely see a pattern with children that seem to be a little bit more colicky, the kind that's, that, that seem to have a lot of separation anxiety. I see separation anxiety a lot of times as a child who just needs to be sort of organized a little bit more often than maybe a more hardier child. And I mean hardier with, you know, all the affection that I have. I just mean that the child probably has a more of a, an easier adjustment to physicality than say the sensitive child. Yeah. The sensitive child also, I find that they will kind of what people might call to be a little bit more clingier to a parent or parents than the not so sensitive ones. And again, I think this is because they're overwhelmed by these extraneous energies and these extraneous stimuli that kind of, you know, like overwhelms them. And then they're they're seeking their parent sort of like a safe haven. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, So yeah, definitely see a pattern with the more sensitive children. Yeah, that really makes sense to me. It's almost like they're they're just their filter is thinner. 
Yes. Like they're, they're picking up more information and it's overwhelming and confusing. And so they want to be with somebody whose field is more stable. Yes. Help them feel safe. Exactly. And that's exactly what the whole kind of clinging a little bit more to mom and dad or mom or dad or somebody that they perceive as having a stable energy field. That's what that's all about. So it's kind of like, like I said, a safe haven, kind of like something to just grasp when things are starting to feel a little bit too overwhelming. It's a stabilizing effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. And let's talk about ushering a new generation in to make this a better world. What do you, what do you observe and what is your perception of, of all that? Ushering in a new generation. Well, I feel like there are more of these sensitive children coming into our world. And I believe that it's part of our own evolution as, as humans. And I think it's, very much time for us to nurture these more sensitive children in a way that will help them realize their most authentic selves and to help them get to the point of sort of helping us out because I mean things things are pretty rough here between <laughs> between climate change, you know, all this division. All of this tolerance, I think we need their compassion. We need their activism. We need their safeguarding of our ecology, their empathy. So if even science is telling us, look, something as simple as that close contact with your child when they're a baby, that simple thing can help them achieve greater empathy for another. Let's do that because we need these kids. We need them to usher, uh, you know, to usher in a new world to help us evolve the collective consciousness. And yes, I've been seeing more and more sensitive children. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, if, if we really nurture them, that, and what I call intuitive nurturing, if we nurture them in a way that is intuitive, is, is instinctual, that we hold them close to us, that we turn away from our medicalization. So our, our, our fascination also with te technology, you know, let's, let's turn back to just simple loving contact. And hopefully that'll usher in this new generation that will again be more empathetic and help us with their compassion and activism and safeguarding our ecology because we need them this world needs not needs these children mm -hmm. absolutely i i agree and interestingly like i think it was in may i had i realized i had a bunch of like a collective of spirit babies in my field and i was like what is this all about? And so I just decided to just like, okay, I'm going to do an event. Whoever this is for, I trust that you will be at this event. And 
what came through was it was a collective of souls that they they are the recently incarnated or soon to be incarnating and they said that they are lyrans. Do you know what star seeds are, Christine? I've heard of it. Yes. Yeah. So like basically beings who they don't necessarily frequent the earth experience. They mm. are they're like as souls, they incarnate elsewhere is the best way that I can put it in other dimensions and that we associate with certain star constellations. So these ones said that they were coming from the Lyran gateway and that they are going to retain their memories. So unlike most of us, when we come here, we lose our memories yes. of who we've been in other lives. And like, well, you know, sometimes it'll break through as we age, but they kind of said like, no, they're just going to come in fully remembering and feeling very matter of fact about it. And their message was that they're in charge now. <laughs> and like, and thank, they thanked us for everything that we have done to basically pave the way for them to be able to come in and be received. And their throat chakras are very activated. They're very fierce self-advocates. Like they just are not going to, they're not going to be silenced or muffled. It, they're, they're very strong spirits and they're like, yeah, we're here. We're doing this. We have needs. We're doing it our way. Like basically we're not going to accept any of those false paradigm programs that, you know, would, would have said in the past, let your child cry it out or, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child or it, you know, co-sleeping is dangerous or, or, you know, whatever things, just as you're saying, like they are going to insist on that intuitive parenting. Oh, yeah. That is of nurturing. And it is because they're like, all right, you've completed your phase of the mission. And now we're here to sort of like take the, take the baton and keep going and take the, the collective consciousness in a new direction and just so you know, it'll go a lot more smoothly if you just kind of like not, I don't mean like spoil them and get and indulge them, but it's like release our all the release the imprints of the parenting paradigms that we received yeah, and respond to their needs and what they're communicating in the moment. So, you know, not insisting that they eat every single bite off their plate but like just because that's what we how we were parented but rather, like really hearing them and if they don't like orange bell peppers don't make them <laughs> eat orange bell peppers there is a reason let them like present them with other nourishing alternatives and let them be the deciders it was a very interesting and I was like whoa there really is a new collective coming into <laughs> Are they born already? Some of them are born already, yeah. Oh, wow. Now, would this be the same as rainbow children? I think, okay, so I am not entirely 100% sure. But what I understand is kind of like, so your generation, my generation, we tend to be indigo children. And then I yeah. think there was like like a violet children, although it really doesn't get spoken about very much, but it's like, I think my sister, my youngest sister is 10 years younger than me is one of the violet children. And then, and then I think it was crystal children and rainbow children. And I feel like these are like diamond children. And again, these are all just human words that we put on it, wow. but it's sort of 
Well, to me, what it actually expresses to take it out of the new age kind of jargon and really bring it down to earth is like when we use these words, what we are describing is like a, a frequency patterning, like a way, like a certain bandwidth of wavelength. Yeah. And so the diamond children, I feel like their wavelength is much shorter and the peaks and troughs are kind of like the distance between them is, is shorter and they, the amplitude is like higher. They're, they're vibrating. Their frequency of their consciousness is much faster. And I believe that that's also why we are noticing that some children are very sensitive. It's like our world is very dense and there are a lot of toxins just inherent in our food and our water and our environment in general. And I believe that these babies are coming in like we are experiencing like DNA. Basically, we're experiencing physical upgrades all the way down to the DNA level. Like when we hear DNA upgrades, I believe that's what it means. Like our structure really is being repatterned and we are shifting out of the denser like carbon base into a more crystalline base, which to me just means like a greater coherence and order at the like atomic and molecular structure level. Okay. And so these babies are coming in and they already have this like this patterning in their like this crystalline patterning and then they get born into the world and it's so dense and there's so many toxins and they have more food sensitivities and more environmental sensitivities and then more like energetic and emotional sensitivities but that really it's not a weakness it is it's just they kind of have the the challenge of being the tip of the wave that's being born in this advanced form but into the old density of the world. Yeah. So now what that's telling me is we need intuitive nurturing more than ever. Mm -hmm. We need our souls to, we need to tap into that wisdom of our souls with, with nurturing our children. And I believe that that's, that's born out of just synchronizing with our child. I, I, I believe that if we really stop, look, listen, feel, we can get this information from our own child because that type of connection, that bond is so profound. I think our child could tell us exactly what they need at times. Oh, don't get, you know, and don't get me wrong. I want to put the disclaimer right away. You know, if you feel your child is sick or if you feel something is wrong, of course, I'm not saying to take it upon yourself to intuit what is happening. What I'm saying is just in terms of basic nurturing, it's it's so important just to sit in silence with your baby and see, feel what your baby's going through. Because you're, a, a person can feel when, a, you know, a, a shift of energy when they're angry or somebody or your child is hurt. You know how you say, oh, I could tell which cry that is. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, oh, that's a hunger cry or that's a, you know, a wet diaper cry. You know, it's the same type of notion, same type of idea, you know. So intuitive nurturing at this point is going to be even more important from what you're saying with these new children being born. They're going to be sent more sensitive. They're going to need that really 
tender love and care, allow them to use you as that safe haven because they are going to be more susceptible to becoming overwhelmed to extraneous energies. And they might have these other types of sensitivities, just like I mentioned before, to like textures or sounds or, you know, sometimes the children who have these sensitivities will also have unique difficulties in the classroom because they will be overwhelmed by the energy of loads. So these are all things to be mindful of. And yeah, I just, it's, it's, it's exciting. And I feel like it's even more of a challenge for people like us to get these messages out. And, you know, hopefully we can let, allow these children to do what they're here to do and to the best of their ability. Mm-hmm. I think we will. One of my prior guests made the excellent point that, you know, when we were children, if any of us were to talk about seeing auras, for the most part, we would have been shut down in some way, be it ridicule or just dismissal or being told like not to talk about those things or that's the devil or it's in your imagination or whatever. And now, you know, if a six-year-old tells an adult that they're seeing auras, that a lot of adults are reacting from a place of curiosity. So I think we're moving collectively in the right direction. Yeah, I have, I have a lot of hope. Yeah, so do I. So do I. Well, Christine, this was such an amazing conversation. I knew it would be. <laughs> when I read your email, I was like, oh, we have things to talk about. Will you tell us the name of your book again? Sure. It's A Journey Into Being. Knowing and Nurturing Our Children as Spirit. And it's available on Amazon. It's available, I believe, outside of Amazon as well. This, was at, this is actually the second edition. And I like to stress that because my, the first edition was back in 2006. And uh, this one has a lot more data and a lot more research that is supporting all of the premises. So be sure to get the second edition and not the first. That's amazing. I am personally definitely going to be buying it and I can't wait to read it. This is like, I love this stuff. And then your contact information is in the show notes for anybody who's interested. And what kind of things do you offer? Like if somebody wanted to connect with you further, are there any ways that you're working with people right now? Yes, yes. I do breastfeeding education. I do some consultation on intuitive nurturing, and that would be on my website. You can contact me through the contact form. It's intuitivenurturing.com. Amazing. Perfect. So exciting, Christine. Thank you so much for your time today. And Beautiful listeners, thank you for your time with us and your attention. I truly know that this podcast episode will have served you. I hope you have a beautiful day or night wherever you are, and I will catch you on the next episode, my friends. Hey, my beautiful friend. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Third Eye Awakening. If you like what you heard and you want to go deeper, then head over to my website, amybelair.com, and check out my store, which is full of my past programs, courses, modules, masterclasses, light codes, etc. that are powerful and they are potent and they pack a punch, not going to lie. They are here to support you 
accelerate you and activate you in your spiritual awakening and psychic development journey. And slash or if you want to stay in my most current vibey live energy, then I suggest that you head over to the Patreon and join me there. At the lowest tier level, which is only $5 a month, you get a secret bonus episode for every Third Eye Awakening episode that goes out. You also get a weekly energy report and light language activation, and you get a new moon and full moon emancipation transmission. So those are some fun ways to play. And I'll just remind you that I always have live programs going. So keep your eyes on my website, on my social media, and here on the podcast to find out what is the most current offering that I have. Either way, I love having you in my world and I hope that I get to meet you and work with you soon.